Welcome to Closing Crawl, a fan-made Clone Wars recap podcast. I'm Matt Hayward, hoping to surprise you with good news in Burlingame, California. This is Drew in Chicago, and I was in the Chancellor's Posse too, but I got kicked out for keeping it too real. This is Jared Wadsworth coming to you from the San Francisco Bay Area, where I find that we sometimes fall short of victory because of our methods. This is McCormick in Chicago, and if Luke Skywalker wanted to be part of this podcast, I'd be all like, whoa, you're not real. You're a fictional character. How are you here right now? What is happening? Of course, if Mark Hamill wanted to join, sure, no problem. This week, we're reviewing Season 3, Episodes 18 through 20, The Citadel, Counterattack, and Citadel Rescue. Episode 18, The Citadel. Our Jedi fortune cookie is adaptation is the key to survival. Uh, the radio announcer chimes in to tell us that Jedi Master Evan Peel has been captured and taken to a prison called The Citadel. Clever name. Since Peel was carrying information about secret hyperspace lanes known as the Nexus Route, the Jedi must mount a rescue. The team for the mission is Anakin, Obi-Wan, R2-D2, Rex, Cody, some random clone troopers, and our good friends, ARC Troopers Echo and Fives. Ahsoka will be left behind because this mission is too scary for children. After all, the Citadel was designed long ago to hold fallen Jedi. The plan is that R2 will lead a team of reprogrammed B-1 battle droids flying a shuttle while the rest of the crew is frozen in carbonite to avoid detection. The plan works. The droids fool Citadel Warden and Christopher Walken fan O.C. Sobek, and the team lands undetected, where they find Ahsoka has stowed away at her own block of carbonite come with. Oops. The team tries to climb their way into the prison, and it almost works. But one of the clones sets off a mine and puts the whole prison on alert. After some more clone death, they find Master Peel, who reveals he erased his ship's computers and memorized half of the data of the Nexus route, while his captain memorized the other half. Great, now we need to rescue someone else. After a fight involving commando droids and magnetic ceilings, the team finds the captain, future Grand Moff Willif Tarkin. Our heroes decide to split up so that Anakin and Tarkin can talk later about how the ends justify the means without anyone noticing. And we reach the end of this episode with nothing really happening. What you talking about, Willif? Is that really his first name? I did not know that. But that is really his first name. Hey, uh, Jared, what is Admiral Piet's first name? Frack. I don't think that's right. No, not actually. I don't remember. This is one of those things that I know and I don't remember. It's Firmus. Firmus Piet. <laughs> like, the names of the Imperials kills me. They are, like, the most public school British names ever. They obviously, yes. they've got a lot of repressed rage because of like what happened to them. <laughs> Wilhoof and Firmus got the crap kicked out of them in like elementary school. We don't need no education. More than Jack Torkins did. Oh, well, Jack Torkins had some really solid therapy and he was able um. to like deal with his trauma. He also developed a great sense of humor as a defense mechanism. <laughs> oh, man, that hits a little close to home as a, <laughs> as a chubby kid. <laughs> Starting this episode at a point where I've uh, put a pin in our last podcast, we have what seems to me like a sort of weird Anakin refusing to let Ahsoka come with on this adventure because it's dangerous. Ahsoka has done all kinds of dangerous things. 
<laughs> often at Anakin's behest, often at Anakin not even really caring as she strides into near certain death. This feels like a little bit of a change for him. And I'm wondering if we think this has something to do with our adventures on Mortis. Yes. I think this ties into Anakin's overall arc where he tends to think of himself as the only real person in any room he's in. He tends to constantly imagine that everything's his fault because he's the center of the universe. His mom was kidnapped by sand people. Somehow that's his fault. It's not just that like shit happens. Nobody has any agency and he has this real trauma. I'm going to get into like my own stuff here. Raising kids, it seems like you either recreate the sins of the past, you are your parents, uh, you do the same stuff over and over again, or you reject it completely. And Anakin seems to be going, like, nobody could tell him what to do. He's a real person. And yet everybody else is basically a slave. This is a solid characterization about why he can't deal with anything that's going on in the galaxy. I thought when you were talking about trauma and then you immediately went into raising your children, I was just like, oh, this is going to be good. It took a hard right turn, but I was still interested. Well, I mean, like we all look at our parents and we either say, I'm going to reject where I feel you failed me or you internalize that trauma and you pass it down to the next generation. You see that with alcoholics, you see that with physical abuse, these things echo down through generations. And one of the things that I've had to deal with is how did I think that my parents screwed me up? And I think therapy helps. You try to be better for your kids, right? And so it's not just either doing the same things and expecting a different result or rejecting it completely in the hopes that somehow you will have a better outcome but like actually trying to do the right thing through understanding and rationalization. And what you said, Drew, was definitely meaningful. Ahsoka gets frustrated at all this and goes to Plo Koon and says, it's not for Anakin to choose when and how I should put my life in danger. That should be my choice. Ahsoka, you're a commanding officer in a military organization. You command people to put their life in general all the time and likewise are commanded to put your life in in danger all the time. Where is this coming from, right? This preciousness about autonomy and choice. I'd love to put a pin in that comment because I feel like at the end of the third episode, we've got some interesting comments about the Jedi specifically being in charge of this war. Mm. And Obi-Wan has some pretty trenchant comments. These aren't the people you would want to put in charge of a war. I do think this is a direct reference to the Mortis arc that obviously broke Anakin and he knows something went horribly wrong there. And I, and I can't figure out exactly what the father made him forget. And I think it was just his visions of the future. So he saw Ahsoka turn to the dark side. He saw his lack of control and this is him trying to exert that control. He's actively trying to change things because he's super freaked out. Like he's lashing out and through his own damage, he can't necessarily see that him trying to control things. Like the more he tightens his grip on the situation, the more it will slip through his fingers. Almost like that. Man, if only there was a Star Wars comment that we could use to accurately describe this situation. Yeah. The Mortis arc was sort of a big deal. 
And it's weird that here we are an episode later, and I know that I'd like to jump around in time, so maybe Jared will tell us something about the continuity, but it's uh, like that none of that is completely addressed. Even I think in the most episodic TV shows that there are, like when they have the big episode where Milton's parents get divorced, uh, Milton, Milhouse's parents get divorced. <laughs> like this is occasionally referred to again by and by. And I wonder if we're ever going to hear about Mortis again. Well, Mor- Mortis <laughs> did end up dating Zap. In- <laughs> right. <laughs> Just from a, a formalist standpoint, basically everything happens in order these days. You're looking at now, sir. From a official Clone Wars continuity standpoint, this is happening shortly after the Mortis arc happened. So basically, this is like the morning after an orgy where you're just like, "Mm, let's just not talk about anything that happened last night. Yeah, basically. I was thinking maybe it was more like we missed the interstitial episode, the one they have on the the police shows where where a cop like has nearly died or has had to kill someone and then they have to go to therapy uh, and they're like real mad about it. But then they learn some valuable lessons like we missed that episode completely. That would actually be an interesting episode where like Yoda and Tara Sanube and Jocasta New actually like break down what happened. How come we didn't get that episode? Yeah, well. As long as Dave Filoni is out there producing Star Wars, there's still hope. True that, yo. (laughs) This episode does cause a canon continuity issue we decided to use carbon freezing as our secret gimmick to get past the droids this was something that dave filoni and henry gilroy wanted to use back in season one but never really came up with a script to put it in henry gilroy used it in a dark horse comic book that because of other bits of canon absolutely occurs before this episode does we do have a a continuity problem here where everyone is getting carbon frozen for the first time but they all did that six months ago in a different story. Oops. Fortunately, we have solved this problem much later by just declaring all those comic books to be non-canon. You could also solve it the way they did it in B5, where it's the first time Anakin's getting carbon frozen, but not the first time the carbon freezer is freezing Anakin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) That said, while we're talking about carbon freezing... I'm not entirely sure how Ahsoka manages to pull off her secret plan of sneaking aboard by getting carpet frozen. Is it possible that we're meant to infer based on the Ahsoka and Plo Koon conversation? Are we supposed to think that Plo Koon actually did that? It's supposed to be ambiguous, but mm-hmm. over the course of these episodes, we definitely learn that Ahsoka is lying. There was someone else in that cargo bay that could have helped out. Maybe someone I'd trust a little bit more than a B3 to carbon freeze me, but not much. Echo? Famous guest star Anthony Daniels? Maybe C3PO did the business here. <laughs> um, the Ugnots seem like pretty horny to freeze people in carbonite. So maybe they're just like, yeah, you freeze 15 people, you get a 16th free. Let's do this thing. <laughs> and speaking of the three b1 droids i was excited i'm just like oh my gosh they're part of the republic now they're working with the jedi and r2 this is going to be great and then they're still dumber than a box of rocks okay right how did they not reprogram them they're not though aren't they they are not you actually see some real growth from them two hours with r2 and they are the most competent b1s that have ever existed 
let's wait till the second episode. And even the third, when they start quoting Dumas, I think these B1s are exceptional. Yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to revisit how great they become <laughs> in uh, their final moments. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, great with uh, a caveat that there's still B1 droids and there's limits to... Mm-hmm. What, one more question about our setup here. Are they going to rescue Jedi Master Peel or are they going to get the coordinates? The coordinates are the important part, but it is their belief that Jedi Master Peel is the, the sole proprietor of those coordinates. We've already established that we would sacrifice millions of clones in order to save one Jedi life. They are dying. Let them die. The desperate ploy here of carbon freezing, eight of our favorite recurring characters go and stoically subject themselves to this thing that maybe won't work. They're trusting their lives to R2 and some B3. Like, (laughs) if you think about the existential horror of what's going on here, we're going to carbon freeze you, and that may kill you. And if it doesn't, R2 has to run a separate blockade. And assuming he succeeds, you end up on planet hell. Seems like it could be a one-way ticket and a very unhonorable way to bite it. Anakin Skywalker, dead at 22 of flash carbon freeze brain embolism. I am a meat popsicle. They're sending the chosen one into a prison that is specifically designed to hold Jedi. And they're freezing him with R2 in charge of things where he, again, he might just decide to take Anakin and stick him in his menagerie in his like torture palace and like the lower levels of Coruscant. A noted collector of rare and valuable objects. Are you saying this was the Jedi's chance and they blew it? In hindsight, maybe, but like also if they think he's the chosen one, maybe they don't send him on these obvious suicide missions. Like maybe. They're gambling a lot for the guy who's going to bring balance to the force. Well, he's the chosen one. He's going to have to do that in the future. So he's got to be fine through the course of this mission. They're just hoping they back into a legal technicality in terms of temporal mechanics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Prophecy is true. Therefore, he's not dying here. <laughs> the Jedi are the bureaucrats of space laser sword wielding ninjas. They are yeah. introduced to us resolving a tax dispute about trade routes. Oh my God, the Jedi are the worst. Shortly thereafter, as we're arriving on uh, the rock, I mean the Citadel. (laughs) We're introduced to a character who's playing it very, very big. Obi Sobek, the commandant of the Citadel prison. And he's really chewing the scenery and twirling his mustache and... And being Christopher Walken. He is going full Jeremy Irons in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> um, interesting production note. Jay Moore, after SNL, like he only had one impression, and then that was Christopher Walken. He ended up going back in time to a galaxy far, far away. And this is his next role. Prove me wrong, everybody. Prove me wrong. <laughs> that would actually be the television show Action, which is great with him and Ileana Douglas. But uh, yeah, prove I me appreciate wrong. your effort. He talks about how fear is the weapon they will wield against the Jedi. And this place is designed to break Jedi and they will break Master Peel. 
And earlier, when Anakin was saying Ahsoka shouldn't come along on this journey, Anakin told her this was a place created to hold Jedi if any of us lost our way. I loved this. The Citadel raises the the issue of we maybe have rogue Jedi who aren't Sith. So this throws a whole new wrinkle in that dichotomy of Sith-Jedi. You have the issue of who runs this prison? Is it the Jedi themselves? Also, if this is a, a prison to hold rogue Jedi, wouldn't you think that the Republic might prioritize keeping this and not letting Count Dooku? Like, there's so much going on here that it blows my mind, and it's just a throwaway on this episode. This is like a whole television show worth of cool stuff, and they just tossed it off. Later reference books say the Citadel was constructed about 500 years before the time this episode airs. So it's post-Old Republic, so it can't really be a Sith thing because there aren't Sith, or there's only two Sith and we don't know about them. This is Jedi Arkham Asylum. We have talked about how not all Jedi have to be battlemasters. Some go into the like Jedi Agricultural Corps and something. Maybe that's a front, and we send the Jedi who wash out, who are not <laughs> not not sufficient to command to the Citadel. The Citadel is a farm in upstate New York where your dog gets sent. When I was a child, I had a cat that was named Obi Wan that we sent to a farm, and I lived in upstate New York, and it really I that did fool me for several years, and now I feel very <laughs> sad right now. I had a dog and I lived in New Hampshire and we had a giant mastiff and it basically broke our neighbor's hip because she was old and he was very friendly. And my parents were like, yeah, we sent him to a farm in Vermont. And Vermont is like 30 minutes away. We were very close to the New Hampshire-Vermont border. And I was 25 before I was like, oh my God, did they put my dog down? And I went to my dad and he was like, no, man, we just took him to a farm. Like, it's not that far away. Like, it's it was super easy to do. This is like a tenor-green mastiff. Like, you don't just get rid of something like that. I was like, oh, thank God. I'm glad your version of that story is happier than mine. It just enjoyed humping old ladies' legs and breaking their hips. Well, he thought he thought he was a lap dog. He was like 200 pounds and six like 6'8 six, when he stood on his hind legs. But he was a friendly, friendly dog. Are you describing yourself? Are you the person who went to the farm? He was basically my babysitter for the first two or three years of my life. So I feel like I potentially, he imprinted on me. Did you yeah. break somebody's hip, Drew? I mean, you saw me rampage. <laughs> at McClurk Cork? At McClurk Cork for a new hope. <laughs> like, I, obviously I have. <clears throat> that is true. Yeah. Oh, so many trampled children. So many trampled children. Hey, we got great seats, though. We did. The best. Just like Ahsoka, the ends justify the means. The only way into the Citadel. From where we've landed is free climbing a wall because we can't use our ascension cables. I'm really excited that we specifically brought along our friends Fives and Echo, who trained for this exact situation in Season 3, Episode 1, Clone Cadets. In a test that was even called the Citadel test, just to drive the point home. And that's why you always bring a Jared to a podcast, everybody. <laughs> I did like as they're climbing around on the cliffs and then when they're going through the hallways and stuff, a lot of this episode felt like a Halo level. I literally just wanted to grab a controller and play this episode. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah. Plus one on that one, man. Like this one made me super nostalgic for uh, like Halo 2. 
After they don't use the ascension cables and then free climb it up this rock face, Obi-Wan discovers two droids. They end up putting up ray shields so they can't get in. Ahsoka goes through a hatch, gets inside, and then just like walks over and just pushes a button and opens the door. Don't they have some sort of like ADT security system that like you didn't have to enter a code? There's not going to be someone in a room somewhere that goes, oh, a door opened. As someone who has ADT, I'm willing to bet that they do. And it's just like, there's so many holes in their, in their security system it is almost useless. God, it's terrible. I actually turned that door sensor off because of all the false alarms from <laughs> like, it's so bad. I'm considering going to Xfinity. Oh, God. Can we finally get to talking about Master Peel? Yeah. Let's talk about Master Peel. Oh my God. This dude, at least 80% of this podcast, and I'm including John because he's still on the header on our iTunes account. 80% of this podcast, we saw episode one at the old O, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like Hayward, you were there. McCormick, yeah. you were there. Yeah. And at the end, at the liberation of Naboo, we saw Master Peel or a female Master Peel. And I thought... That was a 200-year-old Yoda species. I didn't have a Jared at that point, so John had to disabuse me of that notion. But like Master Peel, the Russian accent is hilarious. The fact that he can't be broken by droids kills me. Did you guys just think he was the funniest Jedi we've seen up until this point? I liked that he was definitely doing a type. Many of our Jedi are space British for some reason, and so it was neat to hit a tough shoe leather space Russian. I couldn't figure out whether he was a suburban kid. Like he was from the Greenwich Coruscant Peels who read Space Dostoevsky and decided <laughs> to affect Russian hardcoreness, or whether he was actually super space Russian and he was just like, uh, like I lost my eye because my my one true love was a wampa on Hoth. <laughs> I tried to pull the Kid Fisto, uh, Jedi Kid Forum <laughs> attachments, and she took my eye out. Wonderful woman. It, it could have gone either way with that dude. And it was just like, he killed me. This dude absolutely slayed me this entire time. This guy, it's hard to imagine someone going through the Jedi youngling slash Padawan protocol and ending up like this. So, yeah. He was too short for any of their education beds. And so, <laughs> if he was the Greenwich Peels of Coruscant, like I guarantee that he lost his eye in a horseplay incident with a wet towel in the locker room at like <laughs> by the Padawans. And he was just like, oh, no, no, it was taken out by an Oscan blood eater. There's so much backstory to this character. I spent an ungodly amount of time trying to figure out who the hell this guy was. Speaking of an ungodly amount of time, we are at this moment like 12 minutes into this episode. These episodes are jam-packed with plot. There's a lot going on here. We're not even at the midway point of the action. Peel here reveals that he's split the coordinates between him and his captain. No Nexus route space lane hyper coordinates unless they both get out. This actually leads to an interesting point of the Jedi were coming here to rescue Master Peel and they were just leaving everyone else there to run. So we're running through this prison and it seems like maybe it had the common contractor between this place and Grievous's place because there are like some traps and stuff. We've got a magnetic ceiling, which I, a, a fine choice. I love a magnetic ceiling, pulls all the stuff up. It's great. 
And also Anakin has a metal hand, so Anakin gets stuck to the ceiling, and it's hilarious. It's actually the funniest thing that has ever happened, as far as I'm concerned. So is none of the clone armor metal? I guess that's what we just learned. No, it's 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 plastoid. Yeah, I mean, like, bulletproof armor isn't metal, it's all ceramic, right? As Drew pointed out in the past, the clone armor is made out of cafeteria trays, so... <laughs> We also rescue the captain who is no one of note. Jedi Master, I'm gonna die. No, who who do we who do we turn up here in the Death Star detention level that we're on? <laughs> uh, we turn up Captain Wilhelm Tarkin, a future Grand Mon. Governor Tarkin, I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. Charming to the last. I would like you to be my guest at a ceremony. You may when ready. Everybody loves that guy. I like the fact that they had some character development here with uh, Wilhuff Tarkin because he's constantly like, let's all focus our power. It's only about forward motion and we will never, ever, ever worry about anything jeopardizing our overpowering plans. Like he does it in this episode, he does it in the next episode. He's like, Let's just use overwhelming firepower, and that should solve all of our problems. He also does not like the fact that the Jedi have, quote, elected, unquote, this child, referring to Ahsoka, to lead his escape team. And uh, did you guys catch this subtlety on Rex's part? Rex says, she's very capable. I trust her. Rex does not say, I trust her with my life. I thought that was a notable omission. (laughs) Well, his life isn't worth two bits. Even going back further, he says to Anakin, I deserve my trust for those who take action. And he's saying this to Anakin, who is nothing but action. What what kind of action do you need, sir? Yeah, Anakin comes back with, And I reserve my trust for those who understand gratitude. Like, when? <laughs> when? <laughs> what has that ever come up for you, man? It was the worst witty banter I've ever seen. They both botched their roles. It was terrible. Tarkin might survive this, but Anakin's going to be thinking about that comeback as he dozes off to sleep for the rest of his life. Motherfucker. I said, I reserve my trust for those who show gratitude. The good thing is, the episode (laughs) just ends on that line. Oh, man. (laughs) I I prefer Jedi who don't get captured. Yeah, like he was so close to a Trump line. Trumpy, you can do stupid things. Everyone told me not to stroll on that beach. Said seagulls gonna come, put me in the coconut, and they did. And they did. Episode 19, Counterattack. Jedi Fortune Cookie. Anything that can go wrong, will. Because Dave Filoni has never played Call of Cthulhu, they split the party. As Anakin and his fellowship make their way through Moria, R2 is left to save everyone's bacon with his dirty quarter dozen. Obi-Wan and Evan Peel are climbing through Jeffrey's tubes. They are spotted by a probe droid, and the ensuing security doors bisect a poor clone trooper. Master Peel is sanguine enough to actually be Russian. Sobek gets called onto the carpet by Count Dooku. Meanwhile, Ahsoka and Tarkin get to chatting about what an asset the signal could be. Anakin agrees with him because he's the worst. Tarkin is playing diplomacy with everyone, which means he now has at least two shared characteristics with Henry Kissinger. R2 gets caught, and his B1 squad actually is useful. 
which suggests that the separatists are not leveraging their resources effectively. Ahsoka and Anakin's squad get ambushed in the caves, and Anakin keeps trying to catch Ahsoka's obvious lie about being assigned to this mission, while Ahsoka refutes his hand-fisted accusations with extreme competence. Obi-Wan's squad, meanwhile, makes it to the rendezvous, and Obi-Wan, not seeing R2, rolls a nat 20 and suspects it's a trap. As it turns out, he was right. Even a blind squirrel, everyone. Anakin and Ahsoka's squad decides to use a fuel pipe to escape, and Tarkin is still super unhelpful. Obi-Wan and Master Peel are captured and interrogated, and Master Peel says that they are all prepared to die to protect their intel, at which point Sobek starts executing clones and kids show everybody. Our two and his droid squad pass all their bluff and fast talk checks and spring Obi-Wan's squad. In the fuel pipe, Ahsoka practices parkour while Tarkin and Anakin bond over their contempt for the Jedi. They are ambushed on making their exit and explosions. Anakin, for the first time ever, has a plan B. Tarkin, who is surprisingly genre savvy, finds this suspect. Everyone finally meets back up at the ship. A firefight ensues and Tarkin tries to take charge by advocating the use of overwhelming firepower while ignoring the obvious weak points in the plan. He's at least consistent, everybody. Action scene, action scene, and the Separatists blow up the ship along with Echo. R.I.P. to a real one. Obi-Wan calls in a rescue, and the Jedi send in the fleet. The surviving Citadel assault team begins to lose faith, except Master Peel, who was at the Siege of St. Petersburg and is still pretty optimistic about this whole situation. I'm absolutely loving Commander R2. I want to see him lead troops all the time. It was thoroughly entertaining, and he's pretty good at it. Yeah, he's fantastic. And his B1s get competent. Like they actually lied mm-hmm. their way out of a situation. At least once, almost twice. They are devious and deceitful. And most importantly, stupid. Imagine if you gave R2 a squad of B1 battle droids and they actually survived for more than two hours. Like they could be good. I'll debate you on that later. Put a pin in how wrong we'll put you a pin are. In that. All right, yeah. fair enough. I just wanted to call attention to the clone trooper being bisected by an emergency door in this episode as one of the more terrifying moments of this show. I'm just the pieces of the man I used to be. And Master Peel, he was like, we lost one. Time to do some cutting. That guy is cold-blooded. He might really be Russian. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard of Russian prisoners referring to someone as a cow during prison escapes? No. Can I extrapolate? Can we stop you? No. It's super, super disturbing. So in Siberian gulags, Russian prisoners would designate someone as a cow, a potentially naive, hopefully chubby young man who they would escape with and who would serve as provender during their escape attempt. Huh. That's, that's great. I'm glad we got to discuss cannibalism in this podcast. Yeah. Evan Peel has eaten a clone or two. I'm not saying he has in canon, but that dude has definitely eaten a clone or two. When Obi-Wan's group is captured, they have three Imperial officers with them. And in the immediately next scene, they are in Obi Sobek's office and we're down to one Imperial officer. And then in that scene, an unnamed clone is shot in the head, point blank, just executed. Wait, is this is this a kid's show? 
there's one way that I know it's a kid's show, which is they haven't killed any pets, furry animals, or anything resembling a dog. So I think we're still on kid's show side of the line so far. Wait an episode. <laughs> Wait one yeah. episode, y'all. Unlike episode one, where the banter was a little stale, I liked the banter between Tarkin and Anakin in this episode. Tarkin's point is that the Jedi suck as generals because they're peacekeepers and their moral code prevents them from doing what they need to win. And Anakin agreeing with him. This is possibly the only interesting thing that would happen in this episode. I will disagree with that on one point. Another interesting thing that happens right around the same time when the new fancy, you know, acrobatic droids start showing up, they've got energy shields. As they're marching forward, they're just sticking their guns through the shields and firing. Just a tip, just for a second. That's not something I think I've ever seen before in Star Wars, where they're literally pushing their weapons through the energy shields, and that way they have full cover. That was totally sick. You're definitely right, McCormick. Near the end of this fight scene, we get the tragic death of one of our favorite clone troopers, Echo. Sorry, Echo. What you say? Down to one of our five rookies from way back in season one. Yeah, this was sad, but also it wasn't I guess maybe this is good writing. It wasn't really played up. The, the camera did not linger on it lovingly like he was a dead Ewok or something. Yeah. Well, he is, after all, just a clone. Eh, good point. <laughs> sure, there um, will be nothing to compare and contrast this to in the next little bit. Uh, <laughs> the explosion of the shuttle that they were going to escape in. Wait, merciful crap! My car! Along with Echo, that uh, leads our heroes to uh, pick up the space-time phone and call the old folks home on Coruscant, where they explain that, hey, all the ships blew up, so we're going to need someone to send us a ship. And it was at this point that a question occurred to me, and that question is, if we can talk to the Jedi on Coruscant, why can't we just send them this hyperspace coordinates? Good point, Jared. I don't know. Maybe because it would eliminate the third episode in this three-episode arc? Well, it's, it's a good thing that there are definitely one and a half episodes of content crammed into a tight three episode arc here, uh, so that we had to keep that one around. Yeah. These episodes are like simultaneously frenetic. And also there's just a lot of resetting. I think that this entire episode is all space filler. We have to split up at the end of the second episode so that we can escape. And then we spend this entire episode failing to escape and wind up back together could have had one episode where Anakin and Tarkin have their tete-a-tete and come to some sort of like weird realization that they're sort of on the same page. Back when Ahsoka and Barriss Afi were on the mind control ship, they had that wonderful little dialogue in the cafeteria and Ahsoka says something like, You might find some of his thoughts on the future uh, a bit radical. Really? Why? Let's just say my master will always do what needs to be done. Holy cow, that's totally playing out here. Wow, so Ahsoka actually genuinely knows who Anakin is. Yeah, and we even got some signs of that in the Mortis arc where future Ahsoka talks to her and is like, hey, Anakin's not great, you know? Thanks, space mom. Like, that always <laughs> works, saying that you're hanging out with the wrong crew. That's sort of Luke's entire arc is it's just like, yeah, he's not great, but there's always salvation for all of us. Always easy salvation. After you kill a million people, you just have to kill one more person and bam, you're saved. <laughs> the lesson of Star Wars. 
maybe Star Wars isn't a great moral arbiter for the rest of us. Indeed. Stop it now. Season 3, Episode 20, Citadel Rescue. This episode's Jedi fortune cookie is without honor, victory is hollow. Our radio announcer summarizes the last two episodes. We find out the crew must escape to an island where Republic ships will pick them up. The three reprogrammed droids are instructed to buy the crew some time for their escape. They manage all of two seconds. The Separatists release Anubas, which are wolves with bat slash warthog heads to track the escapees. Well, you can run, but you can never hide. During some small talk. On this show, we talk about coffee, New York, daughter, dogs, you know, no big whoops. Tarkin and Anakin both reveal they are friends with the Chancellor. The Anubas and droids are gaining on the crew. When they catch up, a fight ensues. Tarkin proves valuable with a blaster rifle. Evan, I mean Master Peel, is savagely attacked by an Anuba and receives mortal wounds. He manages to tell Ahsoka his half of the plans before dying. The crew have a quick lava viking funeral for him before continuing on with the mission. The crew makes it to the island just as the Republic cruisers arrive to make their way through the orbital blockade. The crew fight off one last wave of droids just as the rescue ships arrive, with Ahsoka saving Tarkin's life in the process. When the crew arrives back on Coruscant, Yoda asks for a debrief and the plans. Tarkin reveals that he will only reveal them to the Chancellor, while Ahsoka reveals that Evan told her to bring them to the Jedi Council. Yoda will talk to the Chancellor about this. Tarkin and Anakin share a moment of agreement on the Jedi needing more military strategy. I've been looking forward to this. It helped you no match for him. He's a Sith Lord. As you see, my Jedi powers are far beyond yours. Now, back down. The first thing we get here is Dooku chewing out O.C. Sobek. And he says, your honesty is the only thing keeping you alive. That was like the first good management principles that I've ever seen out of Dooku. Like it wasn't like casting blame. You're straight up. We've all made mistakes. That's why pencils have erasers. And here's how we move forward. So there is room for improvement. And then <laughs> next up, McCormick, you referenced this. We have the 3B1s that I think are impressive in their personal growth. And they quote Alexander Dumas when they go out a blaze of glory by saying, These three B1s show nobility and honor, and they know they're going to die, but they're dying for a reason. They show that B1s can have some growth. Maybe in like, moral fortitude, but skills were still significantly lacking. They were standing there looking at R2 with their backs to all the gunfire. And they're just like, we got this. We'll buy you a bunch of time. They turn around 
and are immediately picked <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I, I felt really bad for these B1s. They're being sucked dry and cast aside, and everyone is so cavalier about it. No one cares. And yeah, that, that was a bummer. Did Not anyone... even the animators care since one of these droids died in the last episode. <laughs> Are you saying there's a ghost, Jared? Are ghosts now canonical Star Wars? <laughs> yep, droid ghost. I was just really impressed with these B1 droids, and I really wish that we had a show where we had R2 with his reprogrammed battle series droids and just oh, going man. sick you, house. You know what the title of that show is? Oh, please tell me. Going Blue. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> Hey, you know what? We're going to write up a script. We're going to send it to Dave Filoni and uh, yeah, we'll, get, we'll get a cease and desist from Lucasfilm's lawyers. We'll frame it, put it on the wall. <laughs> oh, Tobias, you cad. After the demise of the three musketeers, as sad as it is, our heroes are all back together and Anakin decides to explain that Tarkin's really not that bad. After all, he thinks the Jedi code keeps us from winning the war just like I do. The big question I have is, do, do the Jedi morals actually impede their ability to wage this war? We're coming from a post-Geneva Convention perspective, because it's already been invented in our timeline, on what is reasonable in war. And the Jedi, sort of, with the exception of all the clone child soldier stuff, matches up to that. When he says that, you know, the Jedi code prevents us from going far enough to achieve victory, like... I don't know what he's talking about. I think weapons of mass destruction are a thing that the Jedi have proven to be clearly against. Jared, how did the Jedi get roped into running the war? Why did you even rope me into this? It seems like they would be much more useful in letting Tarkin execute the war on his terms. The Separatists can execute the war on their terms. Shouldn't they be standing above and arbitrating? A little bit. There's no solid in-universe explanation for what happens beyond the fact that the Jedi at least nominally bought the army. Gotcha. So Palpatine basically engineered the Jedi compromising every single principle they have. Wow, he is like really good at this. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing a little music can't help. Up until this point, I thought we were doing one thing in this episode. And all of a sudden we have a one-eyed pink dude and, <laughs> and a bunch of dogs with like a giant lower fang. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, are we on Rura Pente? What <gasps> is happening here? My mind was blown. There's so many visual parallels to Rura Pente. And now I have to go back and question everything, you know, like the last two hours of us talking. Did we just miss everything that's going on in this episode? There is no stockade, no guard tower, no electronic frontier. Well, and here's to my point of whether or not this is a kid's show, but we sure are killing a lot of space dogs for this to be a kid's show. Not just stab them with laser swords. <laughs> the, one of the dogs does get revenge on Master Peel, though, so... Yeah, Evan gets it. Yeah, it is sad that entire Jedi Masters have to be torn apart by something as simple as wild dogs. <laughs> a dingo ate my Jedi. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. 
I'm really punching you guys. I never ever again want to hear the phrase Boba Fett went out like a punk after seeing a Jedi Master <laughs> taken out by a space doge as opposed to a giant and almighty Sarlacc. Wait, did you say doge? Oh, yes, I did. So that I could use the crypto drop. Oh, I see. I was thinking of a uh, ruler of a... <laughs> medieval ruler a yes. medieval ruler of, of uh, a Venice, Venice. Venetian city state yeah with pantaloons yeah. And, and knickers and a well-turned ankle diamond heads hey I don't have to put up with this I'm rich rich listen if you would arrest your ruler the reward would be more wealth than you can imagine I don't know I can imagine quite a bit this caused a Star Wars canon issue as Jedi Master Peel is killed significantly later in the Clone Wars than this in one of the novels which came out at the time. Apparently, they wanted to make sure Jedi Master Peel got killed in the Clone Wars because he does not appear in Revenge of the Sith on the Jedi Council, and so that meant he was dead. But they gave that order too hard, and everyone was like, no problem, we will make sure he dies. But then, once again, we fixed that once Disney bought everything, and that novel is no longer canon. Problem solved. The entire point of these three episodes is that Anakin has to be constantly one-upped, right? He's like, you can't do this because I have ownership of you. You don't have any agency. You're not a real person. And Ahsoka has to constantly show her competence to refute all of Anakin's, frankly, bullshit. And yet he never gets there. And also the counterpoint of saying, yes, Ahsoka lied. She violated like all the code. She did like the wrong thing. And yet it's okay because it all worked out in the end. I don't like the moral of the story being that the ends justify the means. And that seems very anti Ahsoka's story arc. I think there is something a little bit more here with Ahsoka. And that is the Obi-Wan Kenobi point of Anakin's teaching method be do as I say, not do as I do. Ahsoka is showing that she is learning from Anakin for all the good and bad that that implies. Lying to get what she wants to go on the mission is part of it. But also here at the end, we get uh, Ahsoka killing Osi Sobek by putting a lightsaber through his chest from behind, a move which only Anakin Skywalker has done in this TV show up until this point. The Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense. Captain Tarkin shortly thereafter expressing explicitly to Anakin that he's trained Ahsoka well. Oh, man. That's excellent. Yeah, she is learning from him. Speaking of people internalizing lessons after poor Master Peel is gored to death, we take a pause in the midst of our breakneck escape to, quote, give him an honorable burial or something. We wrap him in a shroud and we slowly force lower him into the lava while dramatic music plays. All take a breath and have a moment for the passing of this great man, Jedi Master Evan Peel. I'm hoping Rex is observing this and thinking about what happened when Echo died and maybe thinking a little bit about Cut Laquane. And being like, they couldn't be making it more obvious how expendable clones are. You're totally right. I think these three episodes, we saw that B1 battle droids can be more than they're programmed to be. Just by having a psycho R2 unit be their commanding officer. And with Cut Laquane, we saw that clones can be more than they're programmed to be, even if it's like biological. Basically, Star Wars needs a 
Karl Marx. Well, all the jokes can't be good. You've got to expect that once in a while. To write Das Kapital, but like around battle droids and clones finding some sort of weird solidarity and rising up against their oppressors. Clones of the universe unite. You have nothing to lose but your plastoid battle armor. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be the wonderful post credit sequence to this of Rex and Cody speaking in hushed tones at the the lunchroom where they're just like, you know, you know how they told us that there's metal reinforcement in this armor? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> how do the magnets work if there's nothing magnetic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, all right. We cannot. We can't bring. We can't bring clone juggalos into this. That just adds one too many complicating factors. Sorry, Matt, you're going to have to put the insane cloud posse in as a drop. There's nothing you can do about it now. Oh, God. No, like it's like I've already got a whiteboard with all sorts of weird red uh, yarn connecting everything. And if the insane clown posse comes into this, I think you will break me. Yeah. <laughs> Magnus, how do they work? I guess that could connect back to our pro wrestling thing. For the three people of you who understand that, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, on Earth, not in our podcast audience. <laughs> hey, Violet J has a great moonsault. What, what can you say? Yeah. Bring us home. How do, we, how do we escape this episode like Grand Moff Tarkin riding off in the Toyota Previa of uh, public transit like he does at the end of this episode? <laughs> well so so i i think there's an interesting bit to note here where uh, as we end the episode the jedi council has one half of the nexus route and captain Targan has the other half of the nexus route they both refuse to give it to each other my read of this situation is that we never put those two halves back together because we we never see the republic make a daring strike into the heart of the separatist worlds to win the war by christmas so I guess we just sat on those. And then our stinger for the episode is Anakin expressing that we need to do more. And Obi-Wan saying, if we sacrifice our code, even for victory, we may lose that, which is most important, our honor. The guy who falsely surrendered in order to uh, obtain victory in battle in our very first time we see him in this show. And then did it again. What I told you was true from a certain point of view. How many clones do you think were slaughtered because he decided that he just wanted to, like, fake somebody out? 10,000? 50,000? Oh. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're clones. Who gives a shit? What was your favorite part of the episode? My favorite part of the episode is the Anakin Skywalker Tarkin conversations, especially in counterattack. Their grudging respect for each other is actually interesting. From a prequel standpoint, we can come to see how these characters first met, got to know each other, and it even does play into their relationship once we get to the films later slash earlier in the timeline i was going to say that but i'll jump over to ahsoka she had a solid arc here again some interesting decisions in terms of getting onto the ship and lying her way on clearly had she not have been there 
the mission would have been an absolute failure. I always like just that kind of crazy random happenstance. I'm going to go right to my core competency and say the animation was fantastic. Like from the OZ Sobex, like eye twitch had Anakin Ahsoka, Ahsoka's parkour and the fuel tunnels was fantastic. The Citadel planet was great. Just gorgeous animation. It's not Studio Ghibli, but it's also like not not Studio Ghibli, if you know what I mean. Like it's just, it's great. Even if the plot isn't necessarily there for what we want, it's still beautiful to watch. I couldn't decide, so I have two favorite parts. As they're coming out of the carbon freeze slabs, there's just a brief moment where both Anakin and Ahsoka are addled, and Anakin says, hey, Snips, and Ahsoka says, hey, Master, and then they bo- there's a beat, and they both realize, like, oh, uh, something wacky's going on. <laughs> not supposed to be here. But that was just really fun. It was a great line, and it was great to see that, the, like, their true natural dynamic is informal, hey, sup. And the other thing I liked was Anakin, we know that he can basically fly, but when presented with the opportunity to slide down the outside half dome of the fuel line like a little kid, he takes it and just scoots on down. <laughs> Join us next time when we cover season three, episodes 21 and 22, Padawan Lost and Wookiee Hunt. That will conclude season three of Clone Wars. You can follow us at Closing Crawl on Twitter. If you like the show and want to give us help, you can rate us in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out our merch at bit.ly slash spacetime tm. And thanks as always to Bad Luck Radio for our intro and bumper music. So in terms of things happening in order, Jared, nothing in this episode's out of order. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, my formal statement only applies to episodes, not the contents thereof. You you want to get into that? I don't know. Do we have more to talk about? Oh, or... so I didn't even realize we were there. That was a hell Sorry, of a layup, should... Hayward. That was really good. <laughs> that was the best segue you have ever given me, and I just talked all over it. So maybe we can put in a clever edit here, and I can just yeah. start talking. Magic of editing. <laughs> uh, uh, so yes. Uh, I'm giving you something good to edit over. <laughs>